and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. You know, we uh, when we read this story here, and uh, Luke tells the same story, gives a few other details in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, we find out, uh, you know, we get a profile of this fellow here, this young ruler who, who came to Jesus. We find out, first of all, that he was young. He was a young man. He wasn't an elderly man, like Nicodemus, for example, was an older man. But this was a young man. He was wealthy, a lot of money. It says that he was a, a ruler or a leader, and in, and in this sense, he was a leader in the local synagogue. That's what that means. He was a ruler or leader in the local synagogue, like a minister, if you wish, in the local synagogue, which means that he was an educated man and that he had prestige in the community. We also find out that he was respectful in the fact that he knelt before Jesus and he addressed him formally as good teacher. And he also wanted the important things in life. We find out that he wanted what was important in life. And he showed wisdom with his question to the Lord. You know, a lot of the Jews in those days, when they faced the Lord, what did they want? And they wanted to see a sign, show us a miracle. They wanted to get excited. But this man was wise. He didn't want to see a sign. He didn't want to see a show. He wanted the important things in life. He says, I, what I want is eternal life. Now, while others in his position may have given themselves over to seeking merely worldly pleasures, this man was seeking for the higher things, the better things, the, you know, the, the spiritual things. He was a spiritual-minded person. Of course, Jesus, who could see past the surface into the man's heart, recognized the problem that this person's question and his attitude revealed. The rich young ruler wanted the right thing. He did. He had put his finger on it. He wanted eternal life. However, his idea of how to get eternal life was incorrect. That's the problem. He wanted the right thing, but he was chasing after it in the wrong way. First of all, he asks Jesus, what must I do to get it? And that's the first tip-off that you know that something is wrong. He wants eternal life and he says, what do I have to do to get it? You see, the young ruler's idea was that Jesus, the good teacher, had figured out the thing that you had to do and had himself done it. And because of this, Jesus had eternal life. It's like eternal life was this little secret here and Jesus had figured it out and he knew it and everybody knew he knew it because he was doing these miracles and he was wise and all that kind of stuff. So the young ruler said, hey, if he knows it, if he knows the secret, I want some of that too. You see what I'm saying? Now, the young man wanted Jesus to share the secret with him so he too could have eternal life. And all he needed was this kind of missing ingredient, and he himself would be complete. You know, he had all, he was rich, he was wise, he was well-respected, he was young. I mean, he had it all. He was just missing this one little thing. And if he could get just this one little thing, this one little secret, then he would have what he was really looking for, eternal life. Jesus, however, knows what is missing in this man's life. And in the following verses, he is about to show him not one, but actually three missing ingredients 
that are keeping him from eternal life. You know, I think we need to listen carefully so that we can make sure that we also have the right recipe, if you wish, for our own hope of eternal life, because I think that's what we want, isn't it? Here in this world, certainly, we don't want to be sick, and you know, we want enough money to eat and all that business, but down deep inside, isn't that what we want? We want eternal life. Let's check out our recipe, see if we've got the right recipe. Well, here are some of the missing ingredients in this young man's life. First of all, the young ruler did not have faith. Pretty big piece, isn't it? He didn't have faith. This person had good intentions. How many people in the world have good intentions? Lots of good intentions. But he did not have faith. And the passage demonstrates that, that he did not have faith in several ways. For example, the young ruler doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He sees Jesus as some kind of guru, some kind of teacher, some kind of mystic, you know, uh, uh, mystic uh, prophet who can give him the secret. And you know this because he refers to him as good teacher. And by giving him this compliment but not the true recognition of his eternal person and role, you can see that he doesn't understand who Jesus is. I mean, even Jesus points this out. He says to the young man, why do you call me good teacher? Only, that title is only referred to for God. You can only call God good. And obviously, you don't believe that I'm God, so why are you calling me good teacher? I mean, Jesus was the good teacher, he was the divine son of God, but this young man was not believing that. He was just doing this out of respect. He didn't really have faith. And Jesus points this out. He also thinks that Jesus is a man like himself. He thinks Jesus is a great man, a great teacher, but a man nevertheless. The young ruler believes that the only difference between Jesus and himself is the secret. If he could get the secret, he could be just as good as Jesus. If Jesus gave him the secret, then he will be like Jesus and they'll be fully equal. That's what his conversation says. And this young man also believes that eternal life can be obtained by a man from another man without any intervention from God. In other words, he's thinking that, you know, God could tell us how to do it. God could tell us what the secret is but then we would be able to do it on our own. And so the young ruler, like many people today, wants the right thing. And he's sincere about wanting the right thing. But he doesn't recognize that faith in Jesus Christ is the very first ingredient necessary to obtain eternal life. Not good intentions. Not sincerity. That's not what gets it. What gets it is faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's the first ingredient. And he didn't have this ingredient. He was missing that. Another thing that the young ruler did not have, another ingredient missing in his recipe, if you wish, was that he did not have proper self-awareness. He didn't see himself. His question, his response, and his approach showed that he did not have a proper view of himself and his true condition. He didn't have a clue. When he asks how to obtain eternal life, Jesus responds with what the uh, young man had been taught. 
and what the young man had tried to do, but without success. Now, I need to stop right here. I need to kind of, you need to be with me here. I need to stop the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus. And uh, we need to pause and we need to go somewhere else for a while, okay? So follow me here. Follow me. I'm going to chase a rabbit. And I need to explain to you some background stuff in order to help you understand what's going on between Jesus and the young ruler. So now we're going to just put a pause right there. Just take your clicker, put a pause. Jesus talking to the young ruler. And now we're going to look at something else. here. We need to understand that we are born and we are created to live forever. Okay? God designed us to live forever. Our soul is eternal. And God has pre-programmed us to know this intuitively. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, uh, Solomon says that God has set eternity into our hearts. I quote. That means that God has pre-programmed us with the knowledge that we are eternal. That we are eternal beings. Now the problem, of course, is sin. The breaking of God's laws. The, being, the disobedience to God and His Word. When we sin, in other words, when we disobey God in any way, we're separated from God. And we're denied our eternal life with Him. And yet, here's the problem, our innate knowledge of our own eternal nature yearns to be reunited with God. We're ripped away from God, but our heart still beats to be with Him. We know that we should be there. We know that something is wrong. The feeling of incompleteness, the dissatisfaction with this world, the pain of deep guilt and fear and the dread of judgment, all of these feelings stem from our desire to be united with God just like we were before sin. Now, there are two ways that this reuniting with God can take place. There are two ways that we can experience eternal life. Two ways that work. Two methods, if you wish. First, you never sin. That's one way to do it. Never sin. Never break a law. Never disobey God. Never go against His will. Never break His word. If a person keeps perfectly all the commands of God, never violates His will or His word, then there is never any separation. And you're always united to God. That's one way to have eternal life. Of course, there's a problem with that, isn't there? <laughs> Who can do that? Who has done that? So thankfully, God has provided another way for us to be reunited, for us to have eternal life. And that is, we realize that we're sinners, that we're separated from God, that we're subject to condemnation, and we accept God's gracious offer of forgiveness and restoration to be united with Him through Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful. In other words, we can either be perfect and never make any mistakes, that's one way of living eternally, or we can accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and be united with Him. That's the, two, that's the only two ways available to us to live eternally. Okay, now we go click, we go back to our story, now that you understand that. The young ruler understood only one of those ways. The young ruler understood that if a person never broke the law, they would experience eternal life and union with God. 
And this young guy, for some reason or other, was under the impression that he had actually accomplished this. He had actually done it. I mean, Jesus says, he says, Lord, uh, or he said, teacher, you know, how can I have eternal life? And, and, and so Jesus says, well, you know, way number one, never sin, never break the law, commit adultery, you know, all that stuff. And the young ruler answers him, well, yeah, I know, I did that. I never disobeyed. I never broke the commandments. Yeah, I know that one about adultery. Yeah, never committed adultery, never did this, never did that. Yeah. In his mind, he had done what a person had to do to gain eternal life. In his mind, he thought he had kept all of God's laws. Here is the problem, however. He was not experiencing the promised results. Yeah, he said, I, I, I've kept all the laws, but I'm not feeling this eternal life thing. Something's missing. Something I've left out. There's an ingredient missing in my little recipe here for eternal life. I've kept the laws. There's something else I need to do. Oh, good teacher, give me the secret. You see, the young man did not see himself correctly. He didn't see that he was, in fact, a sinner. That he was a failure before God. He may not have been a failure in front of his community or in front of his wife. But in front of God, who sees everything and who measures perfectly, he was nevertheless a failure. He did not see that he was a condemned man, separated from God by sins, and sins that he didn't even recognize that he had done. You know, the sins that you do that you don't know are sins will condemn you just as surely as the ones that you do know about. You know that. You ever get a traffic ticket? You ever drive, you know, you're speeding through and so on and so forth, and the policeman stops you and he, you know, start, and you're saying, what'd I do, what'd I do, officer, you know, I... Didn't you see that was a school zone or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I didn't see the sign. Oh, well then that's okay, just go along your way, sir. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. What does the cop say? Ignorance is no excuse. Next time, pay attention. $72, please, or whatever the fee is. Well, that same principle exists in the spiritual world. Ignorance of the law of God is no excuse. The sins you do that you're not aware of will condemn you as surely as the ones that you do. Now, this young man, condemned before God, separated by his sins, did not recognize his true condition. You know... Intelligent, respectable, moral, successful people have always had a hard time recognizing that pride or greed or self-righteousness or worldliness or lack of faith will send you to hell as easily as murder and adultery. Just as easily. Model citizens need God's forgiveness just like everybody else. The Bible says that all are sinners and all stand condemned. Romans chapter 3, if you don't believe me, chapter 3, verse 23. Every single human being born from Adam to the end of the world stands condemned before God in judgment. This young ruler didn't get it. He didn't see himself. He thought he was okay. 
he recognized that he had a deep need. But he didn't see that his need was for salvation through mercy and forgiveness of God. And that mercy and forgiveness offered by the very person that stood before him. The truth was that he was a sinner who needed grace, not a saint who needed a secret. And so the second missing ingredient was a proper awareness of himself. And then finally, Jesus reveals a third missing ingredient. That is, the young man did not have a changed heart. His heart wasn't right. When Jesus said to this man, one thing you lack, he didn't mean that he had everything except just one thing. This is what the young ruler thought. He thought he had everything, and there was just one little piece missing, and if Jesus could give it to him, everything would be fine. In the Greek, of course, the New Testament is written in the Greek language. In the Greek language, this expression, one thing you lack, you know, in English, originally it meant you are behind one thing. And if you ever run track and field or something like that, and you're running and you're doing your best, but there's one guy ahead of you, and every time you run up a little to try to catch up to him or her, whatever, they run a little further ahead. You can never quite catch up to that person. They're just a little stronger than you, just a little faster than you are. No matter what you do, you can never overtake them. That's what this expression means. When Jesus said, there's one thing you lack, another way of saying that in English, there's always something ahead of you. There's always something you can't pass. For this man... His love and his dependence on his wealth was the thing that wouldn't let him pass. Every time he tried to run up, his love of money and his dependence on his own wealth would get ahead of him. Wouldn't let him pass. He could have had other sins now. He could have been uh, uh, impure in certain ways, or he could have maybe cheated the, the tax man. You know, he could have had other things wrong with him. But the thing that was blocking his faith the thing that was blocking his self-awareness, the thing that was blocking his repentance was his love of money. That was the thing that kept getting ahead of him all the time. Jesus explains to the man how to overcome this sin, how to remove this obstacle, how to get around this thing. He says, give your wealth to other people and come follow me. If you do that, you're going to get ahead of that thing. Now, for some people in our modern age, that thing ahead there, that thing that you can't get around, for some people, it's drugs. For others, it's sexual sin of some kind. For other people, it might be pride or stubbornness or laziness. For each person, the answer is different. For each person, there's a different way to get rid of that thing that's in front of you that won't let you pass. For this young man 2,000 years ago, the problem was the love of and the dependence on wealth. You need to understand, Jesus was not making a new rule on how to be saved. You know, everybody who needs to be saved needs to give away all their money. He wasn't doing that. We know that because when Peter was preaching on Pentecost Sunday, what did he say? You want to be saved, he says. You believe in Jesus, you repent of your sins, you're baptized. That's how you're saved, and that's the only things that the apostles were always saying. But in this particular case, this young man, before he even got to the point of faith, 
how to get rid of this big obstacle. His dependence on his own wealth. The rich young ruler wanted treasure in heaven, but he didn't realize that it was his attitude towards his earthly treasure that was blocking his way. Jesus' invitation to follow him also revealed that the young man not only was unwilling to let go his wealth, he was also unwilling to let go his life in order to follow Jesus Christ. And this was the reason why he was denied eternal life. Well, I ask you, now that we've kind of gone through this story, what ingredient is missing in your life? What thing is always ahead of you? What is it in your life that just will not let you pass? Is it the acknowledgement that you are a sinner? Is that the problem? You know, the final realization that the sins in your life are ruining your life or the fact that even though you're okay, you still need Jesus Christ? A lot of people are really okay. A lot of people in this audience are fine people. They work hard. They're respectful to their parents. They do good jobs. They even come to church sometimes. But you know what? Thinking we're okay is one of the biggest blocks to getting to heaven that exists. Is, is that what's in your way? That you think you're okay? Is it faith? Is that what's in your way? The swallowing of your pride, the putting aside of procrastination and doubt, and finally admitting to yourself and the world that you really do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? that you need Jesus as your Savior, and that you are ready to express that faith by being buried in the waters of baptism publicly? Is that your thing? Is that what you can't get around, just swallowing your pride and saying, I believe in Jesus just like the rest of these people, and I need Him to be my Savior? Is that what's in your way? Or perhaps it's repentance. Are you hanging on to your sins, not able to let go of the world? So many people want to go to heaven, but they don't want to bury the old sinful man. You can't, you can't resurrect from the dead until you die. <laughs> you can't have eternal spiritual life until you give up sinful worldly living. I mean, you can't go forward until you cut the past off and let it go. Which of these things is holding you back from eternal life? You know, the Lord stands before each of us today encouraging us to give up our treasure, whatever it is, and come and follow Him. Don't be like the rich young ruler and leave here today without responding to His invitation. Do you realize that Jesus had a love for this man? Have you ever thought that if this young ruler would have followed Jesus, he would have been numbered with the twelve apostles? Have you ever thought of that? Oh, what a treasure he threw away. Oh, what a treasure he just threw away. The Lord is calling you today to repent and be baptized or to be restored from sin, to identify with our congregation or to receive the prayers for ministry. We encourage you to come forward now as Brother David leaves us in a song of invitation. Thus in a song of invitation. Thus in a song of invitation. Thus in a song of invitation.